We're going to go straight into the book of 2 Thessalonians. Um, so uh, we begin the second letter today that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, if you remember, just for a little bit of history and, and content, we looked at this when we started the first letter, uh, but we get a lot of this from Acts chapter 17, where we hear the narrative around Paul and his interactions with the church there in Thessalonica. So Paul and Silas, uh, there should be a map here um, coming up. They visited um, Thessalonica and, uh, and taught in uh, the synagogue for at least three weeks in a row. Could have been a lot long, longer than that. We don't really know. But this was on Paul's second big journey, taking the gospel to all these cities. And you can see Thessalonica up in the top left there. Um, So Paul and Silas visited, Um, some Jews joined them uh, from these synagogues, and it says that many Greek men and prominent women also believed and put their faith in Christ. However, some Jews uh, stirred up trouble because apparently they were jealous of Paul and what he was doing, and essentially they stirred up trouble to the extent that there was a mob riot. I mean, this, this isn't, you know, sometimes we think of persecution as just being like an intellectual persecution. This was like violent persecution. They forcibly drag Jason, who is one of the believers. Um, It seems possibly that they might have been meeting in his home in midweek or something like that, but they drag him out of his house because they're looking for Paul and Silas. They can't find him. And uh, they, they drag Jason and some other believers forcibly before the city council, and they accuse them of causing trouble. In fact, they accuse them of treason, against the Roman Empire, against Caesar for declaring that Jesus is king. Uh, Because of this, as a result, the whole city is thrown into turmoil. This is a a mess, and so what the church does is they ship Paul and Silas out. They kind of send them off and say, it's not safe for you here. You guys head on. They go on to the next town, and even there, some Jews from Thessalonica search them out, find them, and stir up more trouble for them there. That is the level of, of kind of anger towards Paul and Silas about the gospel coming to this town in Thessalonica. And so you have this young church here, this young immature church, and there is a serious amount of hostility and persecution. And what we will read today and what we'll find out is that even when Paul writes this letter, it is still going on. So in that first letter, we, we've covered lots of ground, but Paul writes this first letter probably a few weeks, maybe up to a few months after his first visit. He assures them of his love for them. He praises them for their faithfulness, and he reminds them of the sure and certain return of Jesus. He's looking to encourage them. Now, this second letter that we're starting at looking through today, a little bit shorter than the first, and this was likely written a few months to a year or so later after the first letter. So we're not talking lengthy periods of time, but it could be around about a year or so later. Now, to, to help us, really, the, the, main, the main point I want to make today, and, and, and this is drawn out by several commentaries um, on these books, it's, it's actually most helpful if we view them side by side, the openings to these two letters, and we will see. So if we can do that now, I think, Tanika, if you can put that first one up, you'll see the first opening greeting um, in 1 Thessalonians on the left, and then the second letter on the right. They are virtually identical with a a very small change um, 
in the second letter. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Uh, We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Really similar opening. Um, and, And it feels very familiar, doesn't it, in terms of these things of grace and peace. These are themes that Paul often starts and ends his letters with in the New Testament. And I'm not going to cover it today, but in that first talk that I did on 1 Thessalonians, just trying to ex- explain the, the, the depth of meaning in those two words alone and what they convey in terms of a greeting. It's an incredibly powerful and warm greeting. So then into verses 3 and 4. And, um, and, and what we're going to, um, I'm just going to read them through from this second letter here. Uh, so what we get here is this, dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. So they are still a year on, on the receiving end of great suffering and hardship and persecution. It is tough. It is still tough on the ground in Thessalonica. This church has been for a year under the cosh from these locals stirring up trouble. It is It's just worth bearing that. That sets the scene really for the entire letter. Now, in the first letter, if you look at those verses, what you will note is that Paul commends them, Paul highlights and thanks God for three things about them, for their faithful work, their loving deeds, and their enduring hope. Now, these are three key thing, themes for Paul. You might, they might kind of ring a bell for you if you know the end of 1 Corinthians 13. These three things will last forever. What three things? Faith, hope, and love. And so these are three things that Paul likes putting together. And in that first letter, he commends them for what? Their faithful work. You have faith mentioned. You have loving deeds. Their love is commended. And their enduring hope. Faith, hope, and love. Look at the second letter again. What is missing? What has gone missing? Do we see the word hope there at all? No. They're commended for their love and their faith. He says, your faith is flourishing, your love for one another is growing. And yes, he acknowledges their endurance and the, the you know, kind of faithfulness through persecution, but maybe they've lost their hope. That's what commentators point out here. This is the key difference. Faith, hope, and love come together and hope is not mentioned. Is it possible that after a year of suffering great persecution, their hope is beginning to wane? I suspect it probably was, and probably we can't blame them, can we? I mean, a year of tough persecution, is their hope just beginning to fade away? Hope is easy to kind of have in a moment, isn't it? Momentarily, hope is much easier than trying to maintain it in the long haul. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe for you it's about you've been praying for something for for years and years to come to fruition and you haven't seen it yet. And you started out praying with great hope, but actually over time 
your hope has lessened. Or maybe you're struggling with a long-term health issue. You started out hopeful about the outcome, but as time has gone on, your hope has waned. Maybe for you it's about a relationship. Maybe you're estranged from a family member or a friend, and initially you had great hope that that could be resolved. But over time, that hope is harder to maintain. Maybe for some of you, well, probably for some of you here, Ukrainian friends amongst us, you fled your country due to war. Maybe you had great hope for returning quickly, for that war coming to an end quickly. And as time goes on, that hope is harder to maintain. Maybe for some of you, you're stuck in a work situation where you've been promised change will come and you've been sticking at it and sticking at it and nothing is changing and it's hard to maintain hope. Hope is hard to maintain in the long haul, isn't it? So how do we stay hopeful? How do we keep our hope levels high? How do we endure tough things while keeping our hope levels strong? Well, to the church in Thessalonica, Paul brings them a stimulus package, a hope stimulus package uh, that is really um, tailored specifically to them and to their situation. That's what we're going to read in the next few verses. So we're going to read on from uh, verses 5 to 10. Just as a slight aside, I I thought this was quite interesting um, kind of going forward really, but um, commentators say that in in the original Greek language, everything from verses 3 to the end of verse 10 is one really long sentence. Apparently it's one of the hardest passages in the Bible to actually translate because Paul just doesn't put any punctuation in. It's one long sentence from the beginning of verse 3 to the end of verse 10, which makes it really difficult and you'll find different translations pull out slightly different themes. But what I want to suggest is that this kind of backs up this argument that all of this is is one thing. So Paul is commending them for stuff um, around their their hope, you know, their, their faith and their love, but missing hope. But the rest of it, his response to that is all one sentence, suggesting that when we come to this, this next bit that he encourages them with, it's linked to their missing hope. It's not just a random kind of thing that he wants to remind them of. It is clearly in response to what he's pointed out earlier. So we're going to read from verse 5. Uh, This is what he says. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. Verse 7. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you, for you have believed what we uh, told you about him. Now, this is interesting. Obviously, you know, there's a reference there to eternal destruction. I don't want to necessarily spend too long thinking about the idea of of this forever separation from God, this idea of hell. Uh, If you want to reference that, I preached about that, um, gosh, I don't even know when it was. It wasn't that long ago, a few months back. I'm sure you can find it on our website in the series we did on um, Hebrews. 
I think it was called Elementary, the teaching series. So um, I, I'm not going to get into that today in too much detail. However, what I want to suggest is that Paul's way of, of trying to renew their hope, these people under persecution, is by reassuring them that God, in his justice, will pay back the people who are persecuting them. Now, we, we might kind of think, ooh, that's, that's interesting. But I believe this is what they needed to hear. They needed to hear that one day Jesus would return and that those people who were Jews who knew God, who should have known better, who should have been looking for the signs of a coming Messiah, but instead are persecuting the, the, the people who have recognized Jesus as King, as Messiah, they are inflicting pain upon these individuals. The Jews are, they should have known better, but that God re, uh, Paul reassures them that they will be dealt with on Jesus's return. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. Now, here's the thing. I would imagine for those of us who are not on the receiving end of long-term persecution, we might wince at this. We might wince at the idea of Paul reassuring believers and, and being positive about the fact that eternal destruction is headed the way of those who are in opposition to the good news, those who are dealing out this persecution. I would imagine it might, for most of us, be a kind of, ooh, I'm wincing a little at this, Paul. You are, you, are, you are trying to instill hope in people by reassuring them that justice will be done, that people will be paid back for the persecution that they are dealing out. However, to those experiencing the pain and suffering of persecution day after day after day, this has been going on for maybe the best part of a year these people have been suffering at the hands of people who should have known better. Maybe this is what they needed to hear. Maybe this is the one thing that will actually give them hope going forward. Is Yes, I hope, God, one day that when you come back, you will sweep us up into you know, your, your great regenerating plan. Absolutely. We're looking forward to that. But also that one day justice will come. Where you are on the receiving end of great injustice, justice being done by God is a hope-giving thing. As an example, I actually want to, I want to encourage us to think about our Ukrainian friends, several who, of whom are part of us here these days. Seeing your country back home pulverized day after day after day, people being killed, millions of people being displaced, suffering on an incredible scale at the hands of evil. Can you imagine? I, I, I can only begin to imagine the suffering and the pain that our Ukrainian friends will be feeling. And I can also imagine that actually the idea of justice coming to those who are dealing out evil might be a hope-giving thing. I can imagine that when I try and put myself in your shoes. So I would encourage us not to be too quick to kind of wince or think, oh, Paul, that's just a bit much. Kind of, it's a bit much reassuring people and trying to give them hope by talking about justice and payback for evil. 
Today, my sense is that in the same way that Paul, and, I, and I'm kind of coming towards an end here with this, but uh, my sense is that in, in, in this situation, Paul knew what they needed to hear. Their hope was waning because of their suffering. And the truth that they needed to hear was that one day, Jesus will bring this all to completion and, and justice will be done. Evil will be paid back. Now, my sense is that for many of us, you might, you might be a person who's whose hope levels are low for whatever your circumstance might be. I don't know your individual circumstances, but my sense is that God will want to remind some of you in specific situations where your hope is waning, he wants to remind you of a truth that is relevant to your situation. It won't be that just, you know, it might not be that justice will come and people persecuting you will be repaid. It might not be that that you need to hear today, but it might be something else that God wants to just speak and drop in a prophetic word for you that reminds you of a truth that boosts your hope levels once again. And we would love to see lots of prophetic contributions along those lines um, as we move back into a time of worship soon. So then we've got a few verses left, and this is all, I would suggest, along a similar kind of theme of Paul addressing um, their kind of waning hope. And this is what he says in verse 11. He says, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. Keeps on praying. Prayer is an important part of seeing hope rise again. Paul says, I'm praying for you, church. I want to encourage us that one of the best things we can do, this is just good generic advice that Paul has here in this section for us, if our hope is waning, prayer coming before God and praying for one another, encouraging people to pray for us. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Paul reminds them that, that ultimately it's in God's power. <laughs> Any good stuff you want to see happen in your life, it's, it's going to be as a result of God's power. Pressure off you and responsibility back to God where it really lies for change. God can do this. He, may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. And in verse 12, then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only possible through grace that we enjoy. It's only possible through God's grace that our hope remains high. It's only by grace. We can't manufacture it. We can't force it. We can't drum it up within ourselves. Ultimately, grace is a gift, and the hope that God wants us to have is a gift from Him. But I want to suggest today that there'll be some, there might be a truth that you need to hear refreshed today that will remind you of something you need to hear that will increase your hope level. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'm going to hand back to uh, these guys who will lead us through, Tom and Jenny and uh, the musicians. So musicians, why don't you come up and um, get ready? I'm going to pray. Shall we stand? And um, I just want to pray. Father God, we recognize that hope is one of those things that we can it's so easily start out with a great deal of, but over time, our hope can so easily fade. 
where we're hitting up against the same thing day after day after day. God, we can, probably most of us, relate to this church in Thessalonica who were hitting hardship day after day after day and their hope levels were beginning to fade. God, we recognize that that can happen, but we also recognize that Paul brings truth to light in their circumstances, in their situations, to instill hope. And Father, I want to pray this morning that whatever comes next, whatever we do here, whether it's in responding in worship to you, whether it's through prophetic contributions, God, I want to pray that today acts as a stimulus package for our hope. For any individual here today who's coming knowing that their hope levels are at rock bottom or, or have just taken a dent in recent times, maybe people sensing hopelessness, God, I want to pray that you, bringing your truth to bear in our situations, that unique truth we need to hear, God, I pray it would serve to, to renew our hope. It would, it would just once again set us on a, on a trajectory of looking forward, fixing our eyes on Jesus and being a people of hope. God, we want to be people of hope because this world can at times be incredibly hopeless. And we want to be people who serve as your hands and feet, bringing hope to dark situations. So we need to start with your hope in us. So God, we invite you by your spirit now to come and have your way. Come and revive our hopes. Raise our hope level, God, afresh today. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your hope. We want to be people who can be commended for our faith, our hope, and our love. So would you grow in us, God, what we need to grow. Amen.